the history of Hawaiian music, uh, what we refer to as traditional Hawaiian music, really begins in the uh, 1800s with Queen Leolukalani. She was the last member of the royal family in Hawaii. Um, and she is the songwriter behind Aloha Oi, one of the more famous Hawaiian songs. You know, Aloha Oi, Aloha Oi. But uh, one of the revelations with me uh, playing with Caroline Aloha is that I'd never heard the full version of that. And uh, the beginning of it is basically How Great Thou Art, the uh, <clears throat> Christian hymn. And, uh, you know, that's largely due to the fact that colonizers came in from Europe and uh, uh, basically foisted their culture on the Hawaiians. And uh, and so even the queen has to uh, capitulate to God a little bit before she can go into her traditional Hawaiian farewell song, uh, you know, the uh, Europeans outlawed surfing for a long time. Not because it was practiced in the nude, but because they gambled on it. So, you know, two chiefs would line up whatever they were going to gamble, wives, land, food, and then they would paddle out on these big unruly surfboards carved from a single tree. And whoever got the best wave or went the furthest was the winner. And the Christians thought that was not cool. So they outlawed surfing, but people still did it. You know, instead of gambling, the rebels, they could have like, just outlawed gambling, but they outlawed surfing instead. Gambling, outlawed gambling. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> you know, it was practiced in secret for a long time. And then, of course, you know, in the 20s, when the Dole Plantation took over significant portions of Hawaii and people started traveling there, it became a vacation destination. Then, you know, oh, yeah, surfing is cool because these white people need something to do in the afternoon. And in fact, um, the Beach Boys take their name from the Hawaiian guys who hung out on the beach, took tourists surfing, played ukulele uh, on the beach in the afternoons, brought in delicious food, and basically, you know, were your were your coastal concierge. And uh, what I think was really hilarious was at the time, you know, white women couldn't be seen with you know dark-skinned men, and except when they went out surfing. And um, legend has it, the Beach Boys were not just giving surfing lessons, if you know what I mean. And the Duke, Duke Hanamoku, one of the more famous surfers, was one of the first guys who could travel around the world and be allowed to be seen and touch a white woman. And so, uh, uh, yeah, Duke kind of, um, you know, broke the color barrier for, you know, a minute. But that was because he was an Olympic swimming champion. And people were impressed with him and wanted to be around him because, you know, he gave off that mana. It's a Hawaiian word for spiritual magic, you know. And then, you know, he retired and became the sheriff of Honolulu and uh, kind of a symbolic position and uh, just sort of uh, would go around and pick up drunks. And he had these huge hands. And instead of beating people up, he'd just slap them real hard. So that's why in Hawaii, the tradition is if you screw up the first time, you get slaps. Then it goes from there. You're listening to a conversation between Zach Hanna, a maker of Hawaiian music, and Tamara Federici, producer of every band ever, already in progress. Listening to your music, and I was able to go to one of your live shows. It was on a dock, and you guys played uh, an amazing set, and you had the best backgrounds, which was you did it the right way. You had um, 
a live, you know, live sea sounds, a real background. You had real ocean, and that's the way to do this right, is you got to get real ocean. You don't want fake ocean sounds. You don't want fake seagull sounds. You don't want fake passersby. And there's just like the, a tiny amount of murmur in the background. And the thing is that everybody sounds really relaxed. And, uh, you know, there's a difference between a Margaritaville and what you guys are doing. And to me, that's, you know, oh, that this yeah. is, you know, what, it, what is it to you? Well, so, uh, you know, Carolina Aloha is an act that I've only been playing with for a few months now. And then, you know, 20 years ago, I started uh, my own Hawaiian band called The Howleys. And uh, we all agreed on a very strict no buffet policy. Um, parrot heads are the worst. Um, they will needle you if you play one song. The next thing you know, they want cheeseburger in paradise or, you know, fans or whatever. And nothing against Jimmy Buffett. Uh, you know, uh, he was the, one of the greatest scam artists of all times. He was a dope smuggler who wrote a couple of songs about his dope smuggling experience. And, you know, every middle-aged accountant in America was like, oh, man, I want to be smuggling dope. And, uh, you know, he romanticized it. And then... Uh, trademarked it into a billion dollar empire. This is a guy who, you know, lived on his boat, uh, playing his guitar, didn't own any property, and then, you know, managed to, you know, turn it into this huge scam by offering these people whose day-to-day -day lives are pretty mundane and boring. He offered them this slice of paradise. And, uh, you know, come on, man. It's, it's it's whack and you know like i said we're the only we have a no buffet policy and uh i violated it only one time we were uh playing a show at this uh, little tiki bar in town and this crew of guys comes in and this big burly dude who looked like guy fietti with bleached hair oakley's on backwards big gut comes up hey man Play some Buffett. And so, first of all, he didn't ask. He just said, play some Buffett. And we were like, no, no Buffett policy. And he pulled out two $100 bills and said, just one song. And, you know, to quote Sam Peckinpah, when asked about what his next project was, he said, I'm a whore. I go where I'm kicked. So I figured $66 in my pocket for three minutes of my life was a reasonable, uh, accommodation to make and one of the main reasons i don't like that song is that when i was in college i lived in north myrtle beach for a couple of summers and uh, playing volleyball every day and playing tournaments on the weekend and i was waiting tables and bartending and the place where i worked had uh, a jukebox and anytime somebody walked by the jukebox it had like a motion sensor and it would start playing a song to kind of lure you into putting some money into it and the two songs it always played were Margaritaville and Buffalo Soldier. And at the end of that second summer, I swear to God, if I ever heard those songs again, I was going to punch somebody in the throat. And uh, so, therefore, that's behind the, the no Buffett policy. Again, nothing against Jimmy Buffett. He, he was like one of the greatest surfer scammers of all time. And then once he got rich, he was pretty generous with his money. And, uh, uh, you know, by all accounts, a pretty chill guy. But, you know, the whole... Uh, 
concept of Margaritaville as the middle-aged white Shangri-La is uh, one of the greatest scams in rock and roll history, if you call it rock and roll. Oh, so here's my question on a, uh, so you're a surfer and you just came back from like surfing in Texas recently. And I, you know, we yeah. were talking about Jimmy Buffett and that style of music. The thing that the Hawaiian music does is I feel like, I feel like it's perfect pandemic and post pandemic music and that not enough people have discovered this and utilized it, which is, it feels like an attainable daydream. And I think that the Margaritaville is more like, it's more like a boomer. It's, what is the word? It's sort of, um, yeah, it's sort of just a boomer experience. It's a lifestyle. It's a boomer lifestyle that nobody can really cling on to. Yeah. But like a nice daydream where you know it's not, you know, like you're in the middle of the pandemic. You don't know what's going on. What day is it? What time is it? Everything is terrible. We might die. Oh, this music is lovely. You know, like, and there's, there's like, a, oh yeah, yeah. There's a sweetness and also kind of a, a, a temporary vibe that I think uh, temporarily fixes things. <laughs> and so, and also, you, you might have your own idea on it. Yeah, um, I, I consider Hawaiian music to be sort of like musical Xanax. You know, you hear that steel guitar and then the ukulele plucking in the background, a little upright bass holding down the low, and it takes you into this sort of uh, tropical um, state of mind. Whereas, you know, Buffett is like um, a Kalanapan after three shots of tequila and four Milwaukee's bests. You know, um, it's, a, it's more of a deal, like, you get there and then it's like, oh no, why did I do this? <laughs> so, um, you know, tradi- traditional Hawaiian music why is more, uh, uh, you know, and again, like I said, it's just people escape, wanting to escape from their, from their daily grind, uh, the boredom and uh, ennui that comes with, uh, you know, the life, especially the quarantine life. Um, but uh, they, they do that rather than just, adjust their lives to be happier you know i uh i started playing ukulele 21 years ago and uh, i'd been playing guitar for a while and i just found that yeah it's like uh steve martin had a joke you know you can't play a sad song on the banjo and uh it's kind of the same with the ukulele although you can definitely dig in there if you're feeling it you can write a sad song I, i i wrote a song called uh why kiki and uh, a lot of times i just need like an inspiration a little bit of nugget you know and that improv brain kicks in and i asked some friends for some song titles and the one was um why not waikiki and i just shortened it to waikiki and wrote the song about a hawaiian woman named kiki guy meets her on a cruise ship falls in love sells his house gives up all his possessions, moves to Hawaii, and then realizes that, you know, she's just kind of a player. And she's like, what? What are you doing here? And he's like, I love you. And she goes, no, no, I got like eight boyfriends, right? And so then one day he finds her dead on the hillside, and she had played her game too often. It cost her terribly. So tell me why, Kiki? Why, Kiki? So I basically combined traditional Hawaiian music and a minor key and uh, turned it into... uh, an Appalachian murder ballad, you know, 
<laughs> like uh, Knoxville Girl by the Lubin Brothers. I, that's why I except love your this, Except in this instance, the, yeah, the, except in this instance, the protagonist didn't kill his lover. It was it was her her undoing. And uh, the way I uh, in, the way I intro that song is, you know, you're learning Hawaiian music, and most of the songs are about beautiful, sweet Hawaiian women, and most of them are. But I figured there was an evil one out there, and I would try to write something about her. And uh, yeah, it's a. Well, <laughs> but uh yeah I, so when i when i when i went to hawaii the first time it was kind of a trip because you know i named my band the howleys because you know howley is uh in the hawaiian culture ha is breath right and so when hawaiians used to meet one another they would put their foreheads together and breathe into each other's mouths and aloha means i respect the breath of life within you and ha ole haole means you do not have that breath of life. And I always figured uh, that was partially because Captain Cook and his his European sailors that first arrived there, you're pretty sure they had gingivitis and scurvy and uh, horrific breath from being at sea for so long. So these guys were like, the Hawaiians were like, who are these gods? What are these people? And then they smelled their breath and were like, Oh yeah, maybe not, right? <laughs> and uh, without being aware of it, because uh, you know Holly's just kind of like you know it's like ah, it's the white guy, the tourist, right? But um, without knowing it, uh, I, naming my band that you know that word is kind of like the N word in Hawaii. If somebody oh, calls you that, it means you fucked up somehow, right? Yo, Holly, you in my parking spot, bruh. Uh, Holly, you drop in on me one more time, slaps, right? And so when I went there the first time, I was going on a bike ride down uh, Haleakala Volcano. And I told these two Hawaiian guides that I had a Hawaiian band. And they said, what's the name? And I said, the Howleys. And they were like, what? Because, <laughs> you know, again, you don't want to be called that in Hawaii. And then I played the song for them. And uh, they were like, oh, all right, brother, you, you got it. And, you know. I grew up in Pilot Mountain, North Carolina, um, and I had a black godmother and four sisters that helped raise me. So I have a facility with, you know, African-American culture, but I, I pride myself on uh, not code switching when I'm around black folks because, you know, that's so you're, you're trying too hard, right? Now, maybe every once in a while I'll let out a word. In fact, when I was a school teacher working with these kids, I was like, these kids have no point of reference for a middle-aged white guy. So I would do my impression of my godmother yelling at her children. And uh, somehow it was like a Jedi mind trick that worked. But uh, in Hawaii, it's an easy thing to fall into because the pidgin dialect is really it's cool. It's lazy. It's laid back. And so then you then you get into, uh, who the guy, brah? Yo. Uh, you drop on them, drop in on me one more time, Howley, and that's it for you. You buried in the cane field, right? And so I found that, you know, code switching kind of was good because, A, it showed you knew a little bit about the culture. And then they would just kind of laugh and, and giggle at you because they're like, you know, look at, look at the white boy trying so hard. So, but, uh, yeah, I went out uh, with my friend Sally's uh, buddy, uh, Brian Amona. They went to high school together, and Brian's like 6'4". 250. He's a North Shore lifeguard and fireman. 
and he's also a member of Dahui, and Dahui is uh, basically, you know, the mafia in Hawaii. They kind of keep, they regulate. So if people come in, brash, arrogant, trying to take too many waves, Dahui sorts them out, right? So we paddle out with this huge guy into this local lineup, which, you know, I was just wanting to go to the spots easily accessible. Nah, Brian takes us out into the country. And we paddle out, and there's about 12 mean-looking Hawaiian dudes out there. And me and my friend Greg, I'm 40, he's 50 at the time. Just two pasty white boys paddle out, and Brian goes, this Zach, this Greg, when I say go, they go. And I'm like, oh, shit, now you <laughs> now you put some pressure on us. And fortunately, I caught the first wave he called me into and surfed it nicely and kicked out and paddled back out with a big grin on my face, and everybody lightened up. And then Greg fell on his wave, and everybody burned him the rest of the day. He didn't get a single other wave. You had one shot, and then those guys are just dropping in on you, and, you know, unless you were in the right spot. So, uh, yeah, uh, Hawaiians are cool, but uh, you can't go over there and fucking around. They will regulate and let you know where your place in the hierarchy is, and it makes sense, you know. Captain Cook came over and took over the whole place, Dole Pineapple Coffee Companies. You know, everybody coming in and using the resources and Hawaiians are like, nah, man, not anymore. You're not coming here and taking our waves. And uh, yeah, so uh, you got to gotta be respectful, give aloha, get aloha, you know? Yeah. The, uh, your surfing, how does it, how does, is there a connection between uh, the Hawaiian music that you're playing and your surfing? Is there a mindset that's the same? Is there a attitude that's the same or a philosophy that's the same? Or are they just like... Because when I when I was gonna when I was gonna come out there, you were gonna either go surfing before or after the interview. I think we're or at least we're gonna go to the beach yeah. or something. And so it seems like it's inter like music in general might be intertwined with this. I don't know. Does one serve the other? Is what I'm looking at. Oh yeah, no, it, it definitely. What we do in traditional playing traditional Hawaiian music is like ukulele, steel guitar, upright bass. Sometimes a few other instruments scattered in there, acoustic guitar. And then like what most Hawaiians like listen to daily is either slack key guitar, which is like almost like classical, but with an island feel. And then if you go to Hawaii and listen to the radio, it's reggae. They call it Jawaiian, you know, because it's Jamaican Hawaiian. And that's what everybody loves and listens to uh, in Hawaii, which was kind of weird. But of course, you know, they're not going to be listening to um, you know, my little grass shack every day in, the, you know, 2023. <laughs> uh, but, you know, um, it, yeah, definitely there's a connection uh, between the ocean and uh, and the music. It puts you in like a, a proper chill mind state. And then, you know, most of those guys playing that music surfed. And uh, a lot of old ukulele tunes are based on the ocean going going surfing, going fishing, um, you know, the lifestyle is built around it. Um, and, you know, a lot of people think that, you know, the ukulele is a Hawaiian instrument, and it's actually uh, not. It is from Portugal, and when they were creating agricultural agriculture in Hawaii and uh, bringing over cows, uh, you know, for livestock, uh, these uh, paniolos, that's Hawaiian for cowboy. These Portuguese cowboys came over and they had this little instrument and they could play it so fast their fingers jumped all over the frets and the Hawaiians were like, oh, their fingers are like little jumping fleas. And so uku is flea and lele is jump. So the the instrument is actually 
the jumping flea. I have a question about, um, you know, I know what it's like from the outside to hear your hear the output or you're working out arrangements, um, things like that. But what is it like when you're playing the traditional Hawaiian music and it's slow and it's chill and it's great? Do you ever go off in a different place, like sort of you're playing and it's so relaxing that you start like daydreaming because it's kind of daydreamy music. Like, do you ever like think about a potato and maybe the potatoes at like a party and then you start thinking about, you know, you're still playing, but you're also thinking about like maybe there's a record and maybe it's a potato party and then maybe like it's going to get crazy and somebody says French fry and then all of the potatoes turn into French fries and then right. it's still a dance party, but it's weird. But now your brain is sort of like thinking of like World War II cartoons and maybe that there's a potatoes at a conveyor belt and it goes that way. And then you realize you're back at the chorus and then you're back. Does anything like that ever happen to you? Well, during uh, quarantine, I had been, you know, sitting on this fairly good sized Ziploc of, uh, of mushrooms. And I hadn't uh, um, done them in years and years. And, you know, I've been reading about all this microdosing stuff. And so um, I began to indulge. Everybody in my house goes to bed at 9 and 10 o'clock and I'm up. So, you know, a little tablespoon of Nutella, a little, little dust on top of it. And, yeah, the world opens up. And so now I've gotten comfortable enough that I can perform that way because you know muscle memory is a big part of it sometimes you know your your body your hands your voice just does what it's supposed to do and yeah yeah you drift off think about you know the fact that my tire pressure monitor gauge is on in the car and i gotta get that handled or uh, i think about the fact that you know my dues at the ywca so i can use the pool i gotta you know that's that's due on monday and I want to go swimming, so you know I gotta I gotta work on that. And then, um, you know, my kid's room. You know, he's eighteen, just graduated from high school, and, and he won't leave. And I'm worried about my property value because the room is a has an aroma to it that I feel is going to make it difficult to turn it into an Airbnb when he uh, finally does leave the house. And uh, then, yeah, I pop right back into it. Uh, Cause yeah, you gotta, you know, you gotta get the song going where it's supposed to go. But, and I feel like it's very freeing. I used to do it with alcohol, uh, but then I wouldn't remember, you know, Mm. and that was, Mm -hmm. that was one of the worst things, uh, back in that era, I would be, you know, out of the Tiki bar in Carolina beach and I'd meet all these people, you know, before the show, during a break, after the show, talk to them and then not remember any of it. And this guy came up and he was like, Brado, what's up? And he gives me a big hug and we're talking. And I'm like, yo, man, can, can, you, can you tell me your name again? And he's like, it's Trey. You played my wedding last month. You, you, you went to high school with my dad. And we've gone surfing together and <laughs> gone over to, to Masonboro Island and camped. And it's just one of those things where I'm like, oh, Oh man, my my bad, my bad, dude. But you know, a lot of people just kind of run together like that. You know, some some people stand out. I especially like uh, the Hollies are not the type of band that really has groupies, but we do have a large gilf following. You know, if you're over if you're over sixty, 
and you know postmenopausal and have caftans, you definitely vibe with the Howleys. And you know we're all a little bit younger than that, so they're you know they're kind of like, hey, fifty four, you're like a teenager. You know, um, and you know, nobody's really like terribly uh, aggressive with it, but you know, I get a few tequila sunrises sent my way during shows, and I'm, I'm appreciative of that. You know, and attention is nice, but uh, you know, they're not quite as aggressive as the younger girls might be. You know, rock bands are used to that, and uh, it's sort of like a, a fringe benefit of the job. And then, you know, in most cases with the gilps, we're we're, we're um, Flirt, flirtatiously polite, and then, you know, just grabbing our shit and going home. You don't want to hang out when the lights come up in the bar and realize that, you know, the, the lady you've been talking to looked kind of good. It's, you know, 70s. Right, which is, we love we love people in their 70s, but, but not at a show and not for you. I, I love, uh, I like that you guys go home because, uh, you know, you need to be, you need to be ready. And I feel like sometimes that can, they distract it's important to remember that there is a time and place for Margaritaville. That time is never, and the place is in space. Zach Hanna is an actor, writer, director and musician and, along with upright bassist Jones Smith and guitarist John McIntyre, plays ukulele in De Howley's Hawaiian band. Tamara Federici was invited to lead a shark attack in 1997. She did not have the right teeth for the job. Every band ever is producer, Tamara Federici, editor-slash-producer, Will Velasquez. Audio engineer, Clark Jackson. Publicity, Will Briley. Coordinator, Mary Lear. Social media, Jonah Katz. Artwork by Simon Morris Winheld. Aloha, jerks.